we look at this concept of the resurrection and, and, you know, I always like to ask the question, why should you care? And do you know that, and I don't have to convince you this, every day of our life, somebody somewhere on uh, social media, on YouTube, on one of the instant, you know, Instagram, any of those kind of things, news, if you still watch the news, the newspaper, if you still read the newspaper, they are trying to jam ideas down your throat and convince you of what's important. Does that not happen just constantly in their life? And everyone, I mean, they're trying to convince you that you need a vacuum cleaner, even though you've already got a vacuum cleaner and it's working fine, but you need this one, right? And not only that, you need to stop what you're doing right now and order this vacuum cleaner. It doesn't matter what it is. There's so many things coming at us. You know that uh, neurologists and scientists have studied this. And you know, the average person today, the average person today, on a daily basis processes as much as 74 gigabytes of information. Now, for those of you, like I always, I always have to ask my wife, what megabyte, gigabyte, what's bigger here? You know, I'm trying to figure out what that is. 74 gigabytes, let me just put that in perspective. That's like you watching and intaking 16 full length movies every single day. That's so much information we take in. We take it in from our tablets. We take it in from our computers. We take it in from our cell phones. We take it in from billboards. Those of you that still read books, we take it in from books, magazines, etc. 74 gigabytes every single day. And do you know that that number increases 5% every year? This is why you go to bed and have a headache some nights. You may be like, what did I do today? You just lived on planet earth and you're just taking in information. Everybody coming at you with a different angle, trying to convince you of what's important, why you should care. I'm going to throw a gigabyte in this morning today. This is your daily allotment on something that I think we should all care about. And that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want to give you really three reasons why you should care. I want to just kind of keep it simple, three points, and then we'll get out of here for lunch. Okay. Three reasons that you should care about the resurrection. But before we do, I want to set the stage. I want to provide context because we live in an oversaturated culture. And if you are anything like me, the next person that tells you, you need to care about this, you're just like, ah, here we go again. I, I, why do I need to care? Why is this so important? And I just worry if we don't set the context that this information, this, this, you know, this persuasion that I'm trying to communicate why we should care is just going to go in that, that pile of useful, but non-helpful information that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is just going to go into the dump pile of everything else that goes into our head and out on a given day. And I don't want to see that happen for each one of us because I think it's that important. And so we want to stay, set the stage for the so what question. It is okay to come into church on a day that we're celebrating the resurrection and in your mind think, so what? Yeah, he resurrected. That's cool. That's a miracle. But so what? And I want to get at that level because we want to understand why it's of extreme value. We want to understand why God did something that's never been done before. We want to understand the value of what Jesus Christ accomplished. And so to do that, I want to just look at really four quick points to get to our three points. How about I've already you know, added seven here. So sorry about that. Setting the stage. God is holy. God is just. Now, those of you that know your Bible, you're like totally fine with that. But what it means is this. God is without sin. He's perfect. He's also just, which means he's always right. 
He's always fair. He always gives people what they deserve. There's no exceptions. He doesn't miscarry justice. Now, if you have ever been involved in a court system and you have been on the wrong side of justice because somebody else was more prominent than you, somebody else had more money than you, you can understand why you would appreciate justice. We want, when people do things wrong to us, we want them punished. No amens to that, okay. I bet you, if you were to drive on the freeway today and somebody zipped around you and crossed over and almost ran you off the road, your prayer would go something like this, God, please let there be a police officer over the hill. I want that guy nailed. And we like justice. Good news is that God is just. Bad news is really the second point here. We're not. That creates a problem because the law given by God simply condemns each one of us. It shows us that we're not holy. We're not perfect. It shows us that we are not just. We're not fair. And you know what? No one measures up to God's high and lofty standards. This is, again, we're setting the stage. This next point is not designed to make you feel better. In fact, it might make you feel worse. Jesus, though, was the epitome of perfection and justice, and he never broke God's law. He kept it perfectly, and Jesus Christ never sinned. And you're like, okay, how does that help me? I mean, that's cool, cool for him, not cool for me still. This is a problem. And how does it relate to us? Here's how it relates to us. We're going to be judged by God based on the high and lofty standard that Jesus Christ set. Now that's bad news because for some of us, we need to take our mind off of this idea that heaven is going to be evaluated based on whether or not I'm better than my neighbor. Forget about your neighbor. Based on whether or not I kind of rise to the level of Mother Teresa, forget about Mother Teresa. Forget about the best person that you think of, your grandmother that smelt like chocolate chip cookies and had milk outside on the table for you every time you, forget about that. That's not the standard. The standard, as we're gonna see in the word of God, is Jesus Christ. Now, the question becomes, how do we know that for sure? How do we know that he's gonna be the standard? Well, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 17 this morning. Acts chapter 17 this morning. This is one of the reasons we should value the resurrection, by the way, because God is, has used it, this event in human history that was verifiable through eyewitnesses to convince us that God is going to judge according to a high and lofty standard of righteousness known as the person of Jesus Christ. He's gonna do it. And he's used the resurrection to prove it. And so in Acts chapter 17, we're gonna jump to the preacher's punchline. Wouldn't you like that every once in a while on a Sunday? Here, we're gonna do that with Paul. He's preaching a sermon at Mars Hill. I saw people shaking their head vigorously on that one actually. So we said, Paul's at Mars Hill. He's preaching a sermon. He's at the end of his sermon, verse 30 and 31, which reads this. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. See, God has overlooked some ignorance in the past. Now, Paul's speaking to a group of polytheistic Gentiles. They had ignorance as it related to God, his character, how a person was to approach God. And so they did their best. You know, back in the, 
early in the sermon, they, they had made an altar to an unknown God just in case they had offended one they had forgotten. So very, very religious in their thinking. And he had desired that the nation of Israel could, would communicate these truths to them. And obviously they failed often in that mission because they got focused on themselves. Go figure. It's kind of a human nature problem. But notice this. Now in the presentation of his son, the clear revelation of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he accomplished in this sermon that Paul preached, he commands everyone everywhere to repent or to change their mind. Change their mind about how they approach God, change their mind about Jesus Christ, change their mind about lots of things. But we're gonna see specifically, he's gonna give us a reason why in verse 31. You kind of follow that because what's the next word in verse 31? Because. He's gonna tell us because. And the because is he has appointed a day, notice this, in which he will judge the world, how? In righteousness, by who? The man he ordained. He's talking about Jesus Christ. And then he's given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And so when we talk about God's righteous standard, we have to get out of our mind this idea that I'm gonna do as many good works as I can and try to offset the amount of sin and evil that I do. And if I just get to the judgment day and I've got the scales tipping in my favor, I'm gonna make it in. That's not how God is going to judge us. He is gonna set the standard that Jesus Christ set, that pole vault level that no one has ever reached spiritually. And he's gonna say, I'm gonna evaluate you on the basis of that. Perfect righteousness, perfect holiness, no sin. In fact, it's a righteousness that we talk about often that's equal to God's righteousness. That's the standard to get into heaven. Now that causes a problem for many of us that are honest with ourselves. But here's what we want to see in this passage. Notice that he's given assurance that this day will happen in the future. He's given us assurance. It's, it's actually the noun form of the word faith. He's given you persuasion. He's, he's attempting to convince the world, that there's going to be a day in which he is going to judge according to righteousness. And so the persuading proof that God will judge in righteousness is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That miracle is designed to capture attention. Why? So that you understand how do I approach God? If I'm facing that day, what kind of righteousness will God accept? That's how we ought to be thinking. In fact, this comes up a lot at funerals, right? We, we, we go to the death, and we go to a funeral, the death of a friend, the death of a family member. We start to think about eternal things. That's a good thing. Don't push that off. We think about the resurrection today. Don't just think oh, today's about food and about eggs and about, it, it's about a, a persuasive proof that God wants you to be convinced of. One day you're gonna have to face him in judgment and he's not gonna be like your high school English teacher that graded on a curve. He's going to grade according to perfect righteousness. And he used the resurrection to convince us of that. So this sets the stage for why we should care about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That first reason, it's designed to get our attention. God is going to judge the world. That means each one of us according to a righteous standard. But I want to look at a second reason. We want to go to another passage to do this. Because without the resurrection of Christ, do you know that we cannot have forgiveness of sins? Without the resurrection, the Bible tells us we would still be in our sins. In fact, go with me to 1 Corinthians 15 for a moment. We're going to look at the, the meaning of the word forgiveness. We talk about that a lot in our culture, but what does it mean? Because 
So very important to understand because if we cannot have forgiveness of sins, it means that the sins remain attached to us and we remain responsible for the consequences of those sins. And the consequence in the Bible is very clear. It's death, it's separation from God for eternity in a place called the lake of fire. And if we can't have forgiveness, that means those sins can never be separated from us. That's a problem. This is why the resurrection is so important. First Corinthians 15, let's start reading in verse 14. And if Christ has not risen, that our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ has not risen. Now really hone in here on verse 17. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. It means it's worthless. You're resting on the wrong object. That's what he's basically saying. Because why? He says in verse 17, you are still in your sins. And he uses this phrase, still in your sins, kind of an interesting phrase. You're still in them. You're still connected to them. They're still attached to you. And again, if you're responsible for the presence of the sins, you're responsible for the consequences associated with those sins. We need to be removed from those or we're gonna suffer the consequences for their presence. And he says, right now, this is a a present tense verb, then you are right now in your sins. You have not been separated from them. That word forgiveness means to send forth or to send away, to dismiss or to let go from oneself. That's the idea of this sins. And so forgiveness of sins is not only the removal of the sins, but the consequence associated with it. And by the way, it's a consequence that's required by a holy and just God, because by, by his character, he doesn't just show up to the courtroom and put on a judge's cloak. That is who he is at all times. He's always just. Good news is he's always love. Okay, so There's this combination of attributes that makes God very unique in this situation. I'm gonna spend a lot more time on this next week, but let me just throw a teaser. Do you know that the Bible never tells us to ask for forgiveness of sins because God cannot provide it this way? In fact, just challenge you, you know, think of verses. We'll talk about one that might come up, but just think of verses where the Bible teaches that. You won't be able to find it because you don't get forgiveness by asking for it. Let's use that in a normal human courtroom. Judge, yep, I murdered those three people. Will you please forgive me? Oh, sure. Going out of here. No problem, man. Have a good day. That would never work, right? Because a law has been broken. A consequence is established for that law being broken. And the consequence must be executed for justice to be carried out. So we don't get forgiveness by asking for forgiveness. In fact, the Bible's just. What did he require For sins, what was the consequence? Death. Death is required. A death must be paid. We don't bypass that by asking for forgiveness. We don't bypass it. In fact, God is even better. He preempted it. He is giving you forgiveness on the basis of what his dearly beloved son did for you. It's all on the basis of his death in your place. See, justice is fully met. The good news for you and I is we don't have to face the justice. We can allow our substitute to face it on our behalf. And so when we talk about forgiveness, the just penalty has still gotta be paid. The judge of the universe has gotta be satisfied with the payment. And guess what? He's the only one 
who can determine if that payment has been made in full. He's the only one that can determine that. And the great thing about what Jesus Christ did and what God the Father did is when Christ died for your sins, he paid your sin debt in full. And the final stamp of approval of his payment for your sin debt, how do we know the judge accepted his payment on your behalf? He put his stamp of approval on it. How did he do that? He did a miracle of all miracles. We've been talking about it all morning. He rose him from the dead. He raised him up from the grave. That's how we know he accepts his payment on our behalf. This was God's way of signing off, if you will, on the payment that Jesus Christ made for you. And you know that the resurrection was the exact moment, we've been studying through the book of John, but it's the exact moment that John the Baptist's statement about Jesus Christ became true. It's the moment that it became fully functional, if you will. If you remember the statement, John saw Jesus coming toward him. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Remember, takes away should cause us to think about what? Forgiveness. That's the word we're looking for. And he took it away along with the consequences of the sin. He removed them from us so that he wouldn't have to execute the penalty on us. He, in fact, Jesus, we're told, bore our sins on his own body on the tree. God associated our sins and our consequence with Jesus. And guess what? Jesus paid it in full. He paid it in full with his death. The resurrection made forgiveness possible. The resurrection made the ability of the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world possible for each one of us. And that's why we should care about the resurrection. There's a third reason why we should care about the resurrection. Because without the resurrection, we cannot be declared righteous by God. That's a big problem because we established earlier in Acts 17 that God is going to judge the world based on his standard of righteousness according to Jesus Christ's life and his standard of righteousness. So the resurrection we're going to find made it possible for you and I to appear before God in the righteousness equal to Jesus's righteousness. This is mind-blowing. We're going to do that. So turn with me to Romans 4. This will be the last point this morning, Romans chapter four. Justification is just a big theological word. It's a legal word. It simply means to declare somebody righteous. Now, we use this word all the time. When somebody does something wrong and they're trying to explain away why what they did was not wrong, we will say to them something like, quit trying to justify yourself. Quit trying to justify that act. And in essence, what are we saying? Quit trying to declare yourself right because you're wrong and what you did was wrong. We use the term in the same way. But see, the judge of the universe, his opinion is the only one that matters. When will God declare you or I righteous? Is it when, again, our good works outweigh our bad? That is so foreign to the scriptures. In fact, we're gonna see it here. It's really clearly lined out. But before we get into verse 23, I want to jump back to verse three, because this is really the, the whole point. We're coming into the end of an argument again, but verse three of Romans chapter four, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now jump with me to verse 23. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him or counted to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who do what? Believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. See, 
Abraham wasn't the only one God had in mind to declare righteous in this fashion by faith in the finished work of the Savior alone. And you know why? This is the only way God can declare someone righteous. There is no one on earth that can show up to heaven's gate, bust the doors open and say, hey, God, I'm here. Aren't you impressed? (laughs) That ain't gonna be it at all. We're gonna bust open the doors and say, God, I'm impressed with him. I'm impressed with the one seated at your right hand. I'm impressed with the one who died for me and rose again. That's where my impression is gonna be. That's where I'm gonna be blown away. I love these songs. We talk about seeing Jesus face to face. I hope that you're more interested in seeing Jesus face to face than you are the streets of gold. That's secondary to me. I don't even know if the first thousand years I'm gonna see the streets of gold because my eyes are gonna be on him. Just so grateful for what he accomplished. This is the only way that God can declare someone righteous because it's the only way that his legal standard can be upheld. And by the way, it comes by faith in God's righteous substitute who paid the penalty for sin. You're not gonna find anything in Romans 3.23 or 4.23 and 24 about you becoming more righteous, you doing more righteous acts. It's all about the righteous substitute and what he accomplished for each one of us. And you know, because Jesus Christ is the righteous standard and because he himself paid our penalty in full, we simply have to trust in him and what he accomplished for us and his righteousness, the scripture teaches, will be credited to our account. So God can judge us according to the righteous standard of Jesus Christ because when we put our faith in him, his righteousness is credited to our account. And God remains just. He doesn't have to lower his high and lofty standard. But now in the person of our substitute, we now qualify for heaven. It's just an incredible Message. In fact, when God justified us by faith, he declared us righteous in the courtroom of heaven. Now jump with me to verse 25. It says that he was delivered up for our offenses and he was raised because of our justification. You're gonna notice that phrase because of used twice there. One is looking back, one is looking forward. Let's look at the first phrase. He was delivered up because of our offenses. And that first phrase because of looks back. This explains why Jesus had to die. This explains what Jesus's mission was when he came. It was because of our offenses. If he didn't pay that penalty for our sin, you and I would still be in our sins. You and I will still be attached to the consequences of those sins. So he came because of our offenses. But then you look at that next phrase, and he was raised because of what? Our justification. This is looking forward. This is kind of the final stamp where God slams his gavel down and and declares someone who trusts in Jesus Christ alone as righteous. Now, why is this? Well, Jesus was enabled and, and enacted our justification by finishing this work. And when God accepted what he did, God said, anyone who trusts in him is righteous. That is how this whole thing put together. So the resurrection simply does this. It finalizes our justification. It puts a period. It closes the book. Now God can justify anyone who will put their faith in the dearly beloved son who died for us and rose again. And the resurrection, again, is the final stamp, the finishing touch for God's one and only solution for sin's problem. He's only got one. It's found in a person and what that person accomplished for us. Again, why should we care? Well, the three reasons we gave this morning It was designed to get our attention. God's gonna judge according to a righteous standard. Without the resurrection, we can't have forgiveness of sins. And then reason number three, without the resurrection, we cannot be declared righteous by God. 
as we summarize, I want you to understand this morning that as you look at the death of Jesus Christ and you look at his resurrection, I want you to know and I want you to leave and be convinced when you leave, God is satisfied with what Jesus Christ did for you. Nobody in this world, but even more specifically, nobody in this room has to go to hell. Nobody. Don't stop me and say, yeah, but you don't know me. I don't need to know you. Because Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom the apostle Paul was chief. That's what, the, that's what he says in that verse. So you ain't even the chief of sinners. I don't care what you've done. You might be vice chief. That's all right. You still qualify if you're a sinner. God is satisfied with the work of Jesus Christ. The question is, are you? That's really the message of the resurrection. Are you satisfied? Are you convinced that this is important? Are you convinced out of the 74 gigabytes you're going to take in today, are you convinced that this is of value and of importance? And I would encourage you today, you don't have to come up front. You don't have to pray a prayer. You don't have to raise your hand. Right in the quietness of your own heart, do you believe that Jesus died for you and rose again? Do you believe that he was your substitute, that you were the one that deserved death and he paid it for you? If that's true of you this morning, based on the testimony of the word of God, you have eternal life. Your sins have been forgiven and you'll live with him forever. Let's close there with a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your work. And I thank you for all the creative ways over the the centuries that you have tried to convince us and persuade us that you exist, that you have a high and lofty standard, but that you love us so much that you provided a solution to this overwhelming problem with sin that we could never solve for ourselves. May each one in this room, each one listening online, be convinced and be able to rejoice in that truth personally. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.